the second episode of our podcast. Uh, we're joined by Bonnie Marie. G'day. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, and myself, Ellie Jane, in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> and today we will be talking about wildflowers. Yeah, we're gonna um, we're gonna get wild, aren't we? We are, exactly. <laughs> so wildflowers of Bulbul in the Bulbul National Park, which will be pretty interesting. Um, but first, but firstly, we... we're doing questions, aren't we? Yes, we are. So before we get stuck into it, we'll um, just uh, go over a few questions that um, all you guys have sent, sent through. Thank you very much. <laughs> so let's get stuck into it, because we asked in our first episode if you have any gardening questions to send them through, and we have been pleasantly surprised that a few of you have. Well, art questions, I think it was. But yeah, our, our art questions. questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So the first question that got sent through is from Claire, and she says, what art do you identify most with? Okay. Hi, Claire. Um, Thanks for your question. Um, I would say identify most with watercolour is my main medium. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say probably your typical Australian country landscape, so you've got mountains, gum trees, that kind of thing. Um, I do love snow gums as well, so some of those as well. But yeah, watercolor. A few, a few of those are thrown in the mix. Yep, just just chuck a few in. <laughs> it will be great. We we might need to mention just before we continue on too much more uh, that Ellie is obviously not in the same room as me, so she's going to sound a little bit more robotic. Um, yeah. But next but time, hopefully. Just, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully next time we can actually record oh, together. <laughs> or are you? <laughs> um, the second question that came through is from someone who I believe might be an artist because they ask, "I'm worried about hanging my watercolor paintings. Will they fade?" So, Ellie, will they? Good question. Thanks, mysterious artist. That is a very good question. And they can do, depending on what paper you use. Mm -hmm. So you want to use an acid-free paper Mm -hmm. um, and store it, if you're storing it with other paintings as well, making sure that it's with other acid-free paper because that can discolour the paint Mm -hmm. and acid uh, or paper that has acid in it can make it more like a yellowy colour over time. Mm. Um, also the pigment of your paint so you want good quality pigments of your paint so doing research on the different different kinds of paints you can get different brands that kind of thing yeah um can make a difference and then the framing as well and positioning so you know um making sure you're not hanging it in direct sunlight so judging where the sun kind of falls mm. in, in the hanging it Avoiding that direct direct sunlight because the UV can affect the colouring yeah. over time. Um, you can also get um, a UV glass um, as well to kind of help with that, but that also comes at a higher cost as well. So yeah. if you're more, you know, not looking for a super fancy expensive frame, then obviously trying to avoid that direct sunlight will help a lot with preserving. So essentially using using good quality tools is what's going to help prevent the fading essentially is what's... Yeah, I think I think so. Mm. Yeah, good quality tools and, you know, doing a bit of research as well. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, and then we've got another question here, which has come through from Dan. So Dan says, have you thought of making your own paints? Hi, Dan. Thanks for the question. Um, <laughs> yes, I have considered it. haven't attempted it yet, but would like to. Um, I have heard of others doing it as well, making their own own paints. <laughs> so, but, but, from... so, wait, 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 backtrack. So you've, you've heard of others. So how are these others doing it? Are they, like, is it literally going out and just collecting natural, I guess you, say, you could say, ingredients? And turning them into paint? Yeah. Yeah. So collecting, like, uh, minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, like, grinding. I've done it myself, but grinding, like, rocks and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine you use, like, a, a binding agent um, to bring it all together and and that kind of thing. And I have used some paints um, made from more, like, I think there was one I used made from cumin. It had a very strong smell. You could actually oh, smell it. And, yeah. You know, yeah, that you could see from the colouring as well. It's so super pigmented, that as well. Materials you can use. Yeah. So I think what you need to do, Adrian, is homework, is actually go away and do some paint making and then let Dan know how you go. Yes, I can certainly do that. <laughs> I will try my best. And in, I'll let you know, Dan. In the, in the previous episode, we also forgot to mention what we do and we've almost forgotten again (laughs) it was a mystery so before we get stuck into the wildflowers do you want to give a brief introduction to yourself and what you what you do or what you've studied and specialize in sure i'll leave it a bit mysterious but i'll give it a go (laughs) um (laughs) so i have experience um at ski resorts um across across australia and some yeah winter and summer as well mm. so just seeing being able to see the different landscapes obviously wildflowers in summer yeah snow in winter um and you, inspiration from that but you specialize in pretty much. but you specialize in japanese culture too don't you yeah so um i have quite a bit of experience in japanese culture Japanese language as well, having lived in Japan for several years as well. Because mm. what did you do a degree yeah. in? Um, it was in Japanese culture and Japanese language. Mm. And that was studied over in Japan though, wasn't it? Yeah, partially. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you're, yeah, you're so a very travelled and world-experienced person, aren't you, so... Indeed. <laughs> and then for myself, I um, am yes. from a what ho- do you do, I, What do I do? I um, do a few things. I am a horticulturalist and I've been in the industry for 11 and a half years. And in my time, I did an apprenticeship. And um, if you go onto my blog or if you actually search my name, you'll find out exactly what I do. But um, I do television and I've done a lot of marketing and advert um, work and working a celebrity no <laughs> but I am um, I've been working for a few developers as well like property developers and um, I've done radio I've done magazines and um, I'm currently yeah doing some ambassador stuff too so I've been doing a few That's different exciting. things within the industry but yeah mainly predominantly horticulture um, yeah. is where I'm based so plants is your is your thing yeah, they're totally my thing, which I think we sort of gauge from the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, 
But um, let's get stuck into today's episode, which is wildflowers. And like yeah, you said, wild. like you said, wildflowers of Bobor. And it's the prime season for them up there at the moment. So the wildflowers start from December and go through to April. And yeah. Ali, you've been there recently. So why don't you tell us what you've seen? Um, so I've seen quite a few flowers out and about at the moment. I'd say probably from the start of, or probably January, really, mm. Um, mm. they started coming out. Mm. Um, typically they come out from December, that mm. kind of time. It has been a bit bit colder up here, though, mm. um, at Bobor. Mm. But you see a lot of the um, the purple um, purple flowers. Yeah, I think they're called the, the trigger plants. You probably know the technical name. Yeah, so um, yes. Stylidium grandiflorum, which, um, yeah, so, yeah, the trigger plant. And pretty much essentially yeah. if you can picture a grass or a, a tufted grass with quite narrow foliage, um, during this time, it will send up a quite a tall flower spike, which might reach 20 to 25 centimetres. And what emerges from that are hot pink or very, very vibrant pinky purple star-shaped flowers. Um, and they pretty much are covering the whole landscape, I'd say, at the moment. Um, yeah, definitely. You see them everywhere. Yeah. Cause Once I, you start walking up to the summit, yeah. you, you'll see them. And they traditionally are an alp, so they're an, an Australian alpine plant, but they are mainly found in areas with an altitude above, or I guess you could say starting at um, 1,400 metres. And yeah. is, Bobo is 1,400, isn't it? Yeah, the village is 1,400, and then uh, you go up to the summit, you're about 1,500 metres up there. Mm. So a lot of these alpine plants require that altitude and they require the chilling which obviously bauble gets because it gets covered in snow all the time in winter yeah, sure. um but yeah so that's just one of one of the many flowers that are up there at the moment but they're quite i'd yeah. say they're the most prominent one that you you'd see and what yeah what else, what other ones um so would you say well i went to this area i've seen little yellow little yellow ones as well yeah so around. You know it as the Muller, is that right? The Muller bush pea? I know it yeah, by its botanical. Yeah, so it's a pretty beautiful little plant. Well, the the bush it itself looks a bit scraggly, um, but when it comes into flower, it's really pretty. And it is, so it's called um, Pultinia gunnii, which it's also in the Fabiaceae family, which is the pea family. So when you look at that flower, it's the same shape is what you would see like a sweet pea or one of those like ah, vegetable peas okay. that you grow. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if you want to look at the science behind it, um, Plutinia, so that is the name of, or I guess you could say that's deprived from the name of the botanist who discovered the plant. Um, but it pretty much translates to with a flower with a stalk in Latin. So... Ah. Which, when you look at the plant, you can you can sort of you can sort of see that in the plant, but um, that's something. That's, with the stalk. Therefore, with the stalk, but um, yeah. So they they're something that you don't really notice when you're up there out of flowering season. They're sort of a plant that just blends no. into the landscape. But then when they're in flower, they're completely um, quite eye catching. They are, yeah. The cute little yellow yellow flowers. Have you painted they are them? Really nice. 
I have done some mm. um, in landscape scenes. Yeah. 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 They're really pretty. But they're very, very, very um, delicate. So they require a lot of detail. Mm. Well, the flower itself is only pretty much the size of a pea. So it's very, very small. <laughs> it is pretty much. Mm. Yeah. And then <laughs> there's another one that I've noticed when I've been up there. Because I went up there last year and I actually took my yeah. photography equipment to photograph the wildflowers. And wow. I know... Borbo is pretty popular for that with photographers, um, wildlife photographers. Yes, it is. Um, Great opportunity in summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I went up there and I don't know if you've noticed them, Ellie, up there. They're the tiniest little white and purple flowers that pop up from the grass on just okay. single stems. And it's yeah. the native viola, which is um, heteraceae. And... You, I don't think you would notice them unless you got down to ground level, to be honest. They're, they're yeah. so small. You probably see them kind of blending in with the other the other ones, like the, the trigger plant and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, one of the photographs I've got on my blog, um, you can actually see the trigger plants behind it, and these are just yeah. a little bit taller than the grass that's surrounding it. So they're, they're quite Okay, pretty. so they're only short. They're really small. Yeah. yeah. You, we sell them in the nursery where I work at, as a ground cover plant that you can buy but when you see them in the wild they're completely not completely different but the foliage itself is so much more um i could i guess you could say um petite and really compacted to the ground whereas when you buy it in a pot from a nursery it's got this real lush almost bounciful um foliage and then the flowers sit above it so it's much bigger um yeah. So it shows you what cultivation does within horticulture, how they can change the the plant from its natural appearance, I guess you could say. Okay, so they would have, you know, um, cultivated, I guess, to adapt to different. Well, no, it hasn't been cultivated to be. It hasn't been cultivated to be changed. It's exactly the same plant, but it just shows you what a plant can do when it's put into a different growing environment. So if it's in different okay. soil, yeah. if it's getting different light levels. The plant will grow yeah. differently, even though they're the exact same species. So okay, yeah, but no, they're really nice. pretty. But with Borbor, they do wildflower tours. But is that still going with COVID, or how's that going? Yeah, so you can do um, wildflower walks up here. Mm. Um, there's also Friends of Borbor as a group that does. They do maintenance on some of the trails and walks up into the national park. And but then you've got... Um, are they volunteer groups? That one, I believe, is a, a volunteer group. Mm. So people can kind of join, yeah. join in. They usually do um, yeah. a, an event or walk each summer. Mm. Um, and then there's tour groups into the country tours. They do wildflower walks up here as well. Yeah. Um, you can book two. Um, is there... Um, like- yeah, it's a great opportunity. Is there, like, photography tours? Because I thought I saw that once up there. Um, there might be providers that do it, um, that do photography tours, but there's none running at the moment that mm. I know of. Mm. But if, if you're into photography, it's definitely a great place to, to come mm. just to, to see the flowers and, and the scenery and, and the snow gums as well. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, you get a really good display of the snow gums up there. It's quite amazing. Yeah, and even if it is... Because we do get a lot of foggy, windy weather. Mm. Even in the fog, it's quite pretty. Yeah. 
Now the the snow gums are quite impressive how they can change. They're they're without it being a wildflower, but they're almost something that is good to see at different stages of the year, just through the For different sure. displays that they provide. Because you go up there all the time to paint them, so you're seeing it yeah. all the time. They're um, like little little candy trees. <laughs> they're like what candy trees? Little, yeah, because they're constantly changing colours. Yeah. So when with gum snow gums, the colder it gets, the bark. Well, not the bark itself, but the trunk starts displaying different colours and it almost becomes a bit stripy in its appearance. Yeah, so um, in, I think when it's colder, it's more like vibrant orange. Mm, mm. Whereas now in summer, it's more like pale green and grey, silvery kind of colour. Yeah, and it has it's to do with the... amazing just to see the differences. Yeah, and it's usually to do with like the sugar levels in the plant. So I can go into okay. detail in it in another like podcast, but... Um, yeah. it's pretty much the well, plant. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we can say it for autumn color, but yeah. So the plant's just storing its energy. And as it does that, it shuts off certain things in its, I guess you could say it's network and it displays yeah. these different colorings. But the, okay. the other cool thing about the snow gums, which I think you would agree is their shapes. Oh yes. Nice and twisty and, and all that. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's great for painting. Yeah. And that's the wind that does that. So in those high altitudes, you won't get that in the suburbs, but in those high altitudes, yeah, you'll get the most river. weirdest shapes of those trees. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, imagine if you were trying to grow it in, you know, down below, you'd get straight snow gums, which maybe isn't so interesting. <laughs> Not as fun to paint. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Mm, but yeah, I love going up to Borboy usually every summer to go photograph them because I do nature photography as well, which I forgot to mention. But um, ah. it's a great place to go and just explore because you can really discover a lot of different things. And I know there's a lot more wildflowers yeah. up there, but I haven't found as many. Um, I think it's just not being there yeah, at the right time. Kind of, yeah, venture into the uh, national park. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. how, long, how long does it take to get to the summit? Um, I mean, it depends how fast you walk. You could shortcut it straight up one of the roads and... But if you're um, not going to shortcut it... 40 minutes? Um, maybe, if you're allowed an hour, yeah. there'd be plenty of time, I would say. Yeah. If you're doing one of the trails, the summit trail. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but you can do, go into the national park from, from the village, mm. which is over an hour, or you can um, drive to... There's a place called Mount Erica. Um, oh. There's a car park there, and then you can hike in, yep. say, 30 minutes to a place called Mushroom Rocks. I've been there. Um, That's a cool place. Yeah, a lot of wildflowers along the way and some pretty impressive boulders as well. There's a lot of leeches there, though, so, yeah. Yeah, maybe when it's been <laughs> raining. <laughs> that always maybe puts me off, but, scary. yeah. <laughs> but, no, that's a cool place. Um, St. Gwinia Car Park. That's a, another one you can do a, a short kind of hike into mm. the national park as well. Mm. They're good starting points, I guess you could say, if you're doing a, a day hike. Yeah, so Ali, you might be wondering why Ali Jane knows so much. It's because she's a very um, <laughs> experienced hiker. She's done a lot of hiking around the world and she's done, well, because of COVID, you can't go anywhere. So you've done a lot of hiking no. here in Australia. So you might have to talk about a hiking episode 
laid down the track. It's not really art or gardening, but it sort of relates to the outdoors. You can combine them. (laughs) You can combine them. You might have stopped and painted something along your way. But, yeah, so you've done a lot of the hiking trails around that area and you you pretty much know it on the back of your hand. Like, you've, you've been there all the time. So... But no, it's a beautiful spot. If anyone was thinking to go up to Borbor, we highly recommend it, don't we? Because we love it. We go up there all the time. Yeah, no, it's a great spot. It's close to, to Melbourne as well, mm. um, if you're based around that area. Mm-hmm. And you can even, um, the other the other night, we were watching the sunset, and it was just just bright orange. Mm. And in the distance, you can see the reflection of the ocean as well. So it's pretty pretty amazing. You can see, yeah. you know, in winter you can see snow and the ocean at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty pretty magical spot. Well, yeah. once again, we've hit our mark for today's episode and we will be back next week, I reckon, won't we? Yes. And if you have any maybe gardening questions this time, send them on through yes when we will answer them or i'll answer them you'll answer the art ones yeah we'll do our best (laughs) you have to think about it anyway we'll catch you in the next episode and until then see you later all right catch you then